I'd invite you to turn with me this morning to God's Word, to Matthew chapter 2. Matthew chapter 2, page 1497 in your pew Bibles. Matthew chapter 2. We've been looking at Matthew's Christmas story over the course of this Advent season, and we've noted how Matthew's been trying to prove some things about who this Jesus is, about his identity. He starts with the the family tree of Jesus, and and he tells us right in the first verse of his gospel that he wants to show that he is the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. And then by the time he gets to the Christmas story in the second half of Matthew 1, he's also sharing with us a couple of other titles, that he is Jesus, God saves, but also that he is Emmanuel, God with us, something that he'll carry on and carry through until uh, Jesus' great commissioning where he says, I'm still God with you to the very ends of the earth. And then we looked a little bit at, at uh, Joseph and his role and his obedience in the Christmas story. And we looked a bit on Sunday at, at uh, how Mary and Joseph experienced this all. How far it was to Bethlehem for them. Not just geographically, but how far it was spiritually as well. And I want to look at that same uh, idea, how far was it to Bethlehem, for a different set of characters in the story that we know as the Magi. So Matthew chapter 2, we'll read the first 12 verses. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who's been born King of the Jews? We saw a star in the east and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed in all Jerusalem with him. When he called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Christ, the Messiah, was to be born. In Bethlehem and Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will be the shepherd of my people Israel. <clears throat> then Herod called the Magi secretly. And found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and make a careful search for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. After they had heard the king, they went on their way. And the star they had seen in the east went ahead of them till it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. And on coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold and of incense and of myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. Would you join me in prayer? Jesus, as we come to celebrate your birth this morning, we pray that we might be led, like the Magi, to you and to worshiping you to seeking to want to live our lives uh, in adoration to you. Help us to learn from this story, but help us to be moved closer and closer to you, Jesus. We pray it in your name. Amen. So on Sunday, we looked at Mary and Joseph, and we asked, how, how far was it to Bethlehem for them? <clears throat> what did it take for them to get to a face-to-face -face encounter with God's incarnate Son. And we asked, what would it take for us this Christmas season? 
But as we ask that question, one of the farthest journeys was taken by the oddest characters in the story. Magi from the east. We, we've noted how in Luke, Jesus' welcoming party was the shepherds. They were the more immediate welcoming party that same day. But then later, there's another welcoming party. Magi from the east. Why did God include them in Jesus' greeting party? Commentators have given some interesting answers. Some say, well, it's just to bring Herod and the Jewish leaders' attention to the birth of Jesus. Others say, it's to picture God's inclusion of the Gentiles. And I think there's certainly something to that. Matthew's already included some Gentile women in Jesus' genealogy, and and his whole movement of his gospel seems to be in the direction of eventually where Jesus will commission his disciples to go to the nations, literally the Gentiles. An interesting one, not sure how, if this was the intention or not, but some say, well, this story shows us <clears throat> how general revelation, you know, general revelation is God's, <clears throat> God's creation, and how God reveals himself in that creation, and Paul talks about how in Romans 1 we're supposed to be able to see God in his creation, in this case in the form of the star, how far general revelation can take us to Jesus until we need then an additional revelation, special revelation, God's Word in the form of the prophecy from Micah to take us the rest of the way. Some see the Magi as a foil to the other characters. The Magi worship. Well, Herod wants to kill the child and the the Jewish uh, leaders in the temple are simply apathetic to the coming of their Messiah. Still others see this as a parallel to Moses. And there's, there's this whole thing going on in Matthew where, where Jesus and Moses are seen in parallel ways and in a lot of different ways. And, and thus, Jesus is the new bringer of salvation as Moses was the one who brought them out of Egypt uh, as, as God led them in the Old Testament. So it's the new salvation story, the new redemption story. And in that case, the Magi's would kind of fit as the minor characters like pharaohs, magicians, in, in, uh, or sorcerers in Egypt. And there are a lot of other different ideas. Some of these are plausible, some of them even likely. But is there more? Especially given Matthew's constant use of Old Testament prophecy, no less than, than five prophecies that he says have been fulfilled in Jesus in Matthew 1 and 2. Well, I think there's a lot more to it. We're going to look at one more of those prophecies, but there's other prophecies that are hidden behind them that we'll see as well. So let's ask, how far was it to Bethlehem for the Magi? First of all, on the map, and here we're talking about the the geographic distance, the physical cost. We're told that they're Magi from the east. Now, that's a pretty broad area. Even if you locate them in Persia, even that's a vast region. I suggest to you the most, two most likely places the Magi were from are Babylon and Sheba. Babylon, simply because we know biblically of Magi in Babylon, and they have played an important role in the culture. And in a sense, Daniel sort of served in that role in the book of Daniel in Babylon. Well, today, Babylon would have been in the land of Iraq, about 50 miles southwest 
of Baghdad. And so the journey would have been about 900 miles, would have taken at least six months, if not longer, for the Magi to get there after the star appeared. The other popular place is Sheba. And this comes from Old Testament prophecies, which may be connected with this story, as we'll see. Today, Sheba's in the land of Yemen, south of Saudi Arabia. If you think of, if you think of the map of, of the Arabian Peninsula and the like, you, there's this big, heavy boot, and Yemen is the heel of that boot. Now, that's over 1,800 miles away. So the journey would have been six months to a year, maybe even more, before the Magi actually got there. Another another reason that Sheba might be a a good candidate for this is that the gifts that they brought, particularly frankincense and myrrh, came from that region of the world. They weren't indigenous to, to Israel. Well, regardless of what locale they hailed from, it was a long journey over a hot, forbidding desert. And the only cam- animal capable of making that journey would be a camel. And so, at least our traditions aren't too far off with the camels appearing in our Christmas cards, even though they don't appear in the Christmas story itself. So they came from the east to Bethlehem, but they went to Bethlehem via Jerusalem. Why did they stop at Jerusalem in the royal palace? Well, where else would a king of the Jews be born? Where did they get this idea that there was a, a king of the Jews born? Well... The historian, the Roman historian Suetonius wrote, Throughout the whole of the East there had spread an old and persistent belief. Destiny had decreed that at that time men coming forth from Judea would seize power and rule the world. So apparently the world of the East was actually looking for a new king from Judea. And when the star appears, this astrological event somehow tips off the astrologer Magi that the time has come. And so the natural person to visit was Herod, the king of the Jews in Jerusalem. Of course, Herod, the most paranoid king in history, was taken aback by this announcement of a newborn king of the Jews. He didn't know of any coming in his family. And immediately, he remembers a prophecy, a prophecy of the Messiah. And he calls to the temple leaders, the chief priests and teachers of the law, for more information about that. And that leads us to the second question. How far is it to Bethlehem through history? Particularly through biblical history. Magi from the east, who saw a star, which they associated with the king of the Jews. Would that ring any Jewish bells? Would that ring Herod's bell? Well, it did ring Herod's bell, we know. And he went to the religious leaders to ask about a prophecy of the Messiah. And they make a connection with Micah 4 and 5. A prophecy of the Messianic age when God would set everything right through a Messiah king, a descendant of David, who would arise from Bethlehem, David's city. The prophecy goes this way in Micah, But you, Bethlehem Ephrathah, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from of old, from ancient times. Therefore Israel will be abandoned until the time when she was in labor, bears a son, and the rest of his brothers return and join the Israelites. He will stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God, and they will live securely. For then his greatness will reach to the ends of the earth, and he will be 
our peace. Now, just a note that Matthew just takes a little bit of Micah 5, verse 2, and kind of changes it. There's some interesting changes there, but one of the most interesting is that he actually changes the end about the shepherd, and he uses a different prophecy from 2 Samuel 5, verse 2. And that's the prophecy of David the king, so he's connecting him once again to David. But Herod's bell was rung. As the Magi described this one as the king of the Jews, using Herod's own title that was given to him by the Roman Senate. But let me ask you, did Herod have reason to be afraid of this child? Did Herod have reason? Well, if you go back even further in the Torah to Numbers 22 through 24, Israel is, has wandered in the wilderness for 40 years. The, old, the first generation has passed away. Now their children are ready finally to enter the promised land. And to do so, they have to go through these nations and defeat these nations, and God continues to defeat them. And now they're to the, into the, coming into the final nation that they have to go through before they can cross the Jordan and go into the promised land, and that nation is Moab. And so, as you might imagine, the king of Moab, Balak, is terrified. He's seen what Israel's God has done so far. So he hires a guy by the name of Balaam to put a curse on the Israelites, but to make a long story short, God only allows blessings to come from his mouth. Now, who's this Balaam? Well, we're told in Numbers that, <coughs> excuse me, that he is a magus, plural magi, from the east. A magus from the east. And then in, <coughs> in his fourth oracle, he prophesies this. <clears throat> I see him, but not now. I behold, <clears throat> excuse me, <clears throat> here, a star will come out of Jacob. A scepter will rise out of Israel. He will crush the foreheads of Moab, the skulls of the sons of Sheth. Listen to this. Edom will be conquered. Seir's enemy will be conquered. But Israel will grow strong. A ruler will come out of Jacob and destroy the survivors of the city. Even to this day, Jews still take that as a prophecy of the coming Messiah. They missed Messiah, so they still take that as a prophecy of Messiah. But when Messiah comes, among others, Edom will be conquered. Why is this important? Because Herod was an Edomite. Herod was the best known of the family of Esau, the Edomites or the Edomians. And so the prophecy was, when this new king shows up, Edom's gone. Herod's gone. But then there are some more prophecies. Because when a powerful king arises in another country, other kings would give him gifts to form alliances, to show friendliness to that nation. It happened with David, but it happened most noticeably with King Solomon. You may recall that scene in 1 Kings 10, where the queen of Sheba brings Solomon a caravan, we're told, with camels carrying spices, large quantities of gold and precious stones. <clears throat> well, because of that, prophecies describe that the same thing is going to happen when this son of David, the Messiah, comes. That people are going to, the kings and are going to send, send uh, these gifts just like they did for King Solomon. And, and that comes out in a couple of prophecies we've already read this morning. Isaiah 60, Arise, shine, for your light has come. 
and the glory of the Lord rises upon you. See, darkness covers the earth, and thick darkness is over the peoples, but the Lord rises upon you, and his glory appears over you. Nations will come to your light, and kings to the brightness of your dawn, and all from Sheba, there's that locale, Sheba, all from Sheba will come bearing gold and incense and proclaiming the praise of the Lord. In Psalm 72, the kings of Tarshish and of distant shores will bring tribute to him. The kings of Sheba and Seba will present him with gifts. All kings will bow down to him and all nations will serve him. <clears throat> Incidentally, that's, these prophecies are where we got that idea of the kings. Magi weren't actually kings. They represented a king, but we get that from these prophecies. By the way, we also don't know that there were three of them. Um, we're still going to sing We Three Kings, that's fine, but we don't know that there are three of them, and that's just representative of the three types of gifts. But as the Magi from the East bow down and present Jesus with gifts, these prophecies are fulfilled. So you can see that there was a long journey through, through history, through biblical history to Bethlehem. God has been leading up to this. He has been preparing the way for this all along. But now Messiah King has come. But it also had to be a long spiritual journey for these magi. What kind of questions were they asking? What was their response to Jesus? Whether you want to call them wise men or magicians or astrologers, the magi were a pagan king's counselors. Counselors who were schooled in the occult. They might interpret dreams and do magic like Pharaoh's magi did in, in Egypt. They would use astrology and other types of divination to understand the will of their gods. And so as they come to Israel, it's their intention <clears throat> that they be welcomed as visiting dignitaries representing the, the king from their land, visiting dignitaries at the royal palace where they would present their gold as well as frankincense and myrrh. Incidentally, these gifts were fitting for a king, Gold's fitting for anyone. I'll take some if you've got some extra. But frankincense and myrrh were actually uh, spices that came from the area that, that, they, uh, that they originated. It wasn't indigenous to Israel, but they were actually spices that were used and mixed in with, anoint, with olive oil to become the anointing oil for a king's coronation ceremony. And so they needed these spices for when this little child would grow up and be king and be crowned king. And so they were gifts fitting for a king. Obviously, however, these magi were not anticipating being shooed away from the palace in Jerusalem into a peasant village and a peasant couple. And so they had to be wrestling with some difficult questions like, why is this child not in the king's palace? Is this a coup? Is this king-changing time? Why is Herod suddenly so interested wanting to worship this child? No king bows down to another king, they knew, especially a rival king of the Jews. And who is this king that, that history and nature in the form of the star and the holy books all point to? Now, however they answered those questions in their own minds and in their conversations, one thing is clear. Their response was one of worship. Maybe they didn't know fully why, but they worshiped. 
This Christmas, today, will we truly worship? Will we truly worship? We who know all the right reasons. You know, there's a a real difference between the reaction of Mary and Joseph, who grew up in devout religious families, and the Magi for whom this was all brand new. And while most of us here probably identify better with Mary and Joseph because of our Christian upbringing, perhaps there are some here today for whom this Christianity thing, this Jesus, is somewhat new. Maybe you identify better with the Magi. For some reason, God has led you here. And you're trying to figure it out. Will you be led, like the Magi, to bow down and worship? And then what's next? We don't know the rest of the Magi's story. We don't know when they headed back east how this changed their life, if this changed their life. What will be your story? As we head into the new year, what will be our story? What will be our response to this child that's come into our lives, brought us the offer of salvation and eternal peace? Will we not only bow down and worship, but will we become his servants? Will we come running from the manger like the shepherds? Will we come like Matthew and Luke telling the story? And will it make a difference in how we face our new year? Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for the gift of your Son. And we pray that this gift might not go unwrapped. That this gift might not be unwrapped and then just tossed aside after we get sick of it but that this gift might be a gift that takes us into a new year with a new commitment to serve you even better and to bow before you with the depths of our being. Use us, we pray, as you used Jesus. And may you receive all the glory for this birth for all Jesus did for us and for all now that we commit to do for him. We pray it in his name. Amen. Let's respond by singing Angels from the Realms of Glory. We're going to sing verses 1, 3, and 4. It's number 81 in our Lift Up Your Hearts book. Would you stand as we sing the three verses? Um.